0: The language in this program is the reason my parents can't listen to it.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 284 of the Thinking LSAP podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Stateline, Nevada. How's it going, man?
0: Uh, Great. How are you? Pretty good. You're going to go golfing? I'm going golfing. Yep, my annual uh, pilgrimage to coastal Oregon. Go trudge around in the rain for a few days. How many people? Uh, twenty-four guys. But wow,
1: uh, dude, that's a that's a serious group to get together.
0: To get together every single year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, and it's a far trip too to get to this place. It's like uh, we're gonna drive eleven hours probably to get there. My buddy and I.
1: You don't get like a massive Airbnb, do you? No,
0: everybody? no, no. It- we stay at the at the place and everybody has their own room and everything. This year is going to be really strange mm-hmm. because there's no bars, no restaurants. Uh, it's going to just be like golf outside and then get a burger, I guess, and take it back to the room. <laughs> Everybody's going to be just like sequestered in their own room. <laughs> I thought about like bringing my video games and stuff because I, I don't think we're going to be doing much after the sun goes down. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, right.
1: yeah. Well, have fun, yeah. Thanks, man. Today on the show, yeah, we have, um, don't give up. It's hard at first, but it gets better. Sounds like an occur- encouraging email. Someone asks, are my expectations for improvement unrealistic? I don't know. Um, Trump's impeachment defense brief goes into the wood chipper. That's the personal statement uh class that Nathan hosts with other demon teachers to destroy or chip apart I guess is that the right way of saying it uh personal statements but you guys are going to take on this brief huh you already did or you're going to
0: no i just wanted to i wanted you to look at it you
1: oh we're doing it right here yeah we're doing of course. it That's together yeah. agenda mm-hmm. okay well i should probably think faster next time um pearls versus turds read the passage to yourself theatrically okay um i don't that sounds strange uh and then we're going to tackle an lr question this will air on monday february 15th um the february lsat flex is just around the corner More importantly, the deadline for the April LSAT flex, which is on April 10th, um, is on February 24th. So that's Wednesday, um, very soon. Anyways, next week. Email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. That helps get the word out. We always appreciate that. Thanks so much. Dude, do you want to read this? email yeah this is Um, uh oh this is the one from adam yes
0: this is from producer adam um he's been doing the sound for our show and the show notes for the thinking else that podcast for forever and uh he had a bit of uh motivational advice for our listeners. It says, howdy dudes. I have a pearl of wisdom that I share with folks who are embarking on big creative projects for the first time. And I think it could apply to one L hopefuls out there. The advice is this get comfortable with quote, the suck creative projects. Usually go like this. A person has an idea that they're very excited about. They have clarity of vision and a ton of energy to bring to their project. They start working And about halfway through the production, things begin to fall apart. The creator faces unforeseen obstacles. It's not clear whether the project can or will hit the original vision. Vision. They can feel lost or overwhelmed. Doubt carries through to an edit phase where principal work is complete and the creator has to take what they've done and turn it into a finished product. For half or more of the edit process, it can seem like the project is not going great. Like they have to continually go back to the drawing board. It sucks. But toward the end of the edit process, things start to come around. Things start to click, which sparks some excitement. Good decisions start to build on one another. The creator can start to see again, and they feel connected to their original vision, or they recast a new vision that they hadn't expected, but are just as excited about. Then they finish the project, and most of the time it turns out well. They're satisfied with what they did, and are excited to do whatever is next. That period from the end of production to halfway through the edit, I call that the suck. And if I'm leading a new creative team, I always let people know that it's likely we will end up in the suck. I let folks know when we arrive in the suck. It can be about one third of the project. If you're familiar with this phase, if you're comfortable in it, if you're aware that it's not a forever place, If you can recognize that this isn't truth, it doesn't actually suck, it just sucks right now, then you can better navigate those moments where nothing is working. It can help you stay focused and push through the unpleasantness so you can get through to the finished product that awaits you later in the game. So yeah, when you're fucking up LR question after LR question, just know you're in the suck. If you can be comfortable there, you'll know that you won't always be there so long as you keep working on it. Best adam
1: cool yeah i couldn't agree more be ready for the shit
0: yeah <laughs> the suck i think our students always refer to that as a plateau they just especially because they're paying too much attention to their you know individ- every single practice test they take mm-hmm. they lose focus of the like oh i'm supposed to just be learning from my mistakes And instead, they get so focused on the what's my score, what's my score, what's my score. Then they hit a few practice tests in a row where their score doesn't improve. And then they all of a sudden think that they're in a plateau. Yeah. I think Adam would call that the suck.
1: The suck. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, I think the best advice is just that you have to keep grinding your way through it. I mean, you're not actually at a plateau. It's probably just the data points are lined up in such a way that you see a trend that doesn't even exist. But then, yeah, it's easy to lose, lose momentum, lose your mojo a little bit.
1: For sure. I think we also see this when students uh, not only hit a plateau, but also their scores drop for a section. I get it all the time. It's like in class, like, Oh, I was scoring typically four to six wrong in reading comp. And then I got, eight wrong do you think this is means i'm never gonna do well on reading conversation you know it's like no um and they're like i was making so much progress i I had gotten up to this point and then it dropped back down it's like yeah just look at the questions you got wrong and figure them out expect there to be some bad days
0: yeah well i mean that's almost numerical illiteracy right if if you Average four to six wrong. Well, you're not going to get four to six wrong every single time. You're probably going to get three wrong sometimes and nine wrong other times. Because that's just how randomness works. Yeah. And if people pay too close of attention to that, then yeah, they, they see that, oh my God, I got minus eight this time. And they extrapolate a trend going in the wrong direction, you know, from just one total glitchy. I mean, sure, maybe you had a bad day. Yeah. But it's your understanding of the test can't possibly be worse. That's not, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Maybe if you study with Kaplan, it does. But it doesn't happen if you study with us. I mean, you know, it's all about like real understanding of the test. So yeah every day you work at it your skills are getting a little bit better even if the the data points don't you know immediately reflect your progress yeah all right that's adam thank you adam for your motivational email to kick off the show today
1: yeah all right this next email are my expectations for improvement too high or unrealistic hey ben and nathan I started subscribing to the Demon Basic after about six weeks with Khan. First Demon practice test in December came in at 146. Recent practice test two months later felt really good. Hmm. Okay, I answered about three fourths of each of the sections, getting 100% of the three games I got to. Wow, nice work! And missing one on reading comp and two on logical reasoning. This put me at a 158 which is still a ways away from my goal of 170. In my drilling, I'm now getting all of the logic games correct, almost all of the reading comp questions correct and about 75% of logical reasoning, but with pretty difficult questions. I'm happy with the fact that I've followed your advice on the podcast to slow down, to really understand everything. But now I'm feeling that I need to speed things up to get the score I need. I had been hoping that I'd be closer to 170 after 3.5 months of consistent and focused study, especially now that I'm really understanding most of the material. I'm discouraged to see just how much more quickly I need to move to get to more of the questions and raise my score. Were my expectations unrealistic? Do I just keep plugging away at this consistent practice, which includes watching the video explanations, mixing in practice sections as well as tests, and always reviewing afterwards? Thanks for any help you can give. Um, okay, well, there's a couple of questions in there and some odd uh, problems. What do you think?
0: It's a It's a very common and very dangerous instinct that people have. That they think that they, at some point, need to start speeding it back up again. A, made really rapid progress. I mean, in two months, went from, looks like, 146 to 158. 12 points? 12 points of LSAT improvement that covers probably... 30% 30% of the curve, 25, 30% yeah. of all other test takers, you're now Possibly outscoring.
1: Because that's it's right in the middle. Of it's that the middle of the curve. curve. Yeah.
0: That's the harder part of the curve to get over because there's so many people that are between 145 and 160, let's say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you think your problem is speed, but your problem still not speed. I mean, Games, maybe. But you can't, like, try to go fast on the games. Right? A A is getting three perfect games now. Which is great. If you're going to score in the 170s, you probably need four perfect games. It's real hard to score in the 170s without perfect logic games. Yep. But I don't think you can start trying to go faster if you do you're gonna it's probably just gonna backfire completely you're gonna you're gonna just you're gonna crash and burn like you're gonna run across a game you're gonna misread you're gonna try to go fast you're gonna misread something or you're gonna miss uh an inference that you could have made and then the game's gonna take you longer and your accuracy is gonna suffer that's my hypothesis about what's going to happen on the games. If you try to go faster and logical reasoning and reading comp, you know, this it's only one data point, but this last practice test, they did three passages and missed one question. They did about 75% of the logical reasoning and missed two of them. I think the the biggest problem is that this listener is got ha, has one seventy in their mind, and they're going to try to score one seventy before they score one sixty. I think I think you got to get there in baby steps, eh? And I I don't think that that has anything to do with speeding up. I think, hey, if you just get one more question per section right which has nothing to do with speed. It has everything to do with accuracy. You're going to already be at 161 instead of 158. And then if you could just incrementally chip away at it from there, you know, next stop 165. And then we could start talking about 170. But if you decide to change your strategy here, and start trying to go faster. My hypothesis is, you're going to be back at one. You're going to be back at 146, not moving forward to 170.
1: Yeah, it's also interesting that this person is focusing on the 3.5 months of consistent and focused study. Um, they joined the Demon in December, and it's early February right now. So we're talking two months of. Presumably approaching the test and studying for the test in the right way. Yeah, the first month and a half. Was was misguided. But, I mean, going up 12 points, even just from when you joined the demon and had the 146 in two months, is is a victory (laughs) for anyone. So, um, I mean, it's not surprising, but at the same time, it's nothing to be... (laughs) sad about on any level that's incredible so keep doing what you're doing
0: yeah life-changing amount of improvement i would say you're on exactly the right track i wouldn't change any i wouldn't change anything i definitely would not start trying to go faster you're you're gonna crash and burn if you do that all you're gonna do is you're gonna be trying to play a game that you don't actually have try to play a game that's just not possible for you to play right now. Yeah.
1: Th- think about it this way, if if you if this person spends two more months and gets another 12 points to get to that 170, that's 24 points in 4 months. By any standard anyone who does that should be extraordinarily happy. So yes, I think your expectations are um, unrealistic in terms of your timeline?
0: I don't like goal. I don't like numeric goals. L- LSAT point goals, I never approve of anyway. You know, so it's just, you need to be focused on actually understanding one more question. That's it. You don't need to be thinking about 170. Right now, it's a dream for you. And I'm not saying that it's not realistic for you to get there. I'm just saying it's not helpful for you to be trying to get there now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to 160. (laughs) Let's get to 160. And that's going to come from one more question per section. One fewer mistake per section. And you're already in the 160s. Yeah. And that's a huge, by the way, Ben, what's the difference between, you know, in law school admissions terms, what's the difference between a 161 and a 158? Quite a bit. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's significant. Like,
1: maybe 20 to 30,000 applicants, potentially.
0: Yeah. And maybe 20 to $30,000, probably. <laughs> I think that one LSAT point yeah. is probably worth 10 grand. Mm-hmm. And so. I would just maybe 170 is your long term goal, but I would chop that up into shorter term goals and I'd be I'd be trying to grind out that one sixty and then try to grind out that one sixty five before you're you know, instead of blowing up your whole game to try to instantly get a one seventy. Yeah. That ain't it.
1: I mean, you just, you got to make a physical analogy because your brain is physically changing. If you were preparing for a marathon and your goal is to do it in, you know, some miraculous time and you've never run before and you go, okay, well, I'm going to go run a marathon and I'm going to try to get this amazing time and then you get injured, no one would be surprised. They'd say, what were you doing? Break it up. Get running a mile first. (laughs) yeah can you run a mile
0: yeah or like oh i started doing some push-ups recently you know i've been doing push-ups pretty pretty diligently for two months and but my goal really is to bench press 350 pounds (laughs) so i'm just gonna get right on the bench and just throw 350 pounds on there
1: (laughs) i follow the rock on instagram i'm just trying to get to where he's at is this unrealistic
0: yeah you gotta okay. be happy with the progress you've made so far, A, and then you've gotta just try to incrementally add on to that. But uh yeah, I think you'll go backward if you try to speed up.
1: Cool. Thanks for writing in. Um anything else for A?
0: No, thank you. Let's move on to this <laughs> this this is just ridiculous. Can you can you click on this? Can you look at the the I got it? Mm-hmm. The link. You've got it. Yep. This is an actual legal brief, okay, filed in the the court of the United States Senate, in re impeachment of former President Donald J. John, Donald J. Trump trial memorandum. This is coming at you from uh, Bruce L. Castor Jr. Esquire, <laughs> David Schoen Esquire, Michael T. Vanderveen Esquire. They are collectively counsel to the 45th president of the United States. Oh, my God. Um, Just scroll down, Ben, past the table of contents. I just wanted to show you this introduction.
1: Okay. Yeah. You want to read it? Sure. Introduction. During the past four years, Democrat members of the United States House of Representatives have filed at least nine, and then they put the number nine in parentheses, (laughs) Resolutions to impeach Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, each containing charges more outlandish than the next. One might wait a have second, been that doesn't even make
0: sense. Wouldn't it be more outlandish than the previous? Yeah, because the, the way they wrote that, this is their very first <laughs> sentence, and what it means is everyone is getting less He's... and less outlandish. Yes, they're becoming more and more reasonable over time. (laughs) Well, including this most recent one where he incited an actual insurrection inside the Capitol building. But that's what they're trying to defend him from here. So there's the first sentence, but keep, keep going.
1: One, and there's already two, I should note, footnotes in that one sentence. One might have been excused for thinking that the Democrats fervored hatred for citizen Trump and their Trump derangement syndrome would have broken by now, seeing as he is no longer the president. Italics.
0: That's an italics.
1: <laughs> and yet for the second time in just over a year, the United States Senate is preparing to sit as a court of impeachment, but this time over a private citizen who is a former president. Oh, my goodness. Talk about word vomit.
0: That sentence has a yet and a but. <laughs> and italics. And, and scare quotes. Why are they calling him <laughs> Citizen Trump? <laughs> in caps. <laughs> and. <'Cause... laughs> Jeez. Yeah, in title case, Citizen Trump. And then also in title case and scare quotes, Trump. Derangement syndrome.
1: I almost thought it was like a movie title, Citizen Trump, Citizen Kane. What, like, what is going on here?
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. This is a legal brief.
1: <laughs> I don't know what it is, dude. It's a joke. That's what it is.
0: Maybe the oh whole gosh. proceedings are just a sham. I mean, it's a trial that's happening in the Senate, so you know, maybe it's just an inherently political thing and. Maybe this isn't supposed to feel like a legal brief. Like a brief, yeah. (laughs) But it's written in the whole, it's all formatted formatted. to look like like an actual legal brief. But now it's just hysterically popping off about Trump derangement syndrome and calling him Citizen Trump and using italics. What?
1: (sighs) Well, the kind of people who would accept this case are... I don't know. Not likely to be the top of their game, maybe. I, I I have no idea about any of these people, but in this country, the brief continues, the Constitution, M-dash, not a political party, and not politicians, reigns supreme. <laughs> Why did they Get capitalize country? <laughs> I don't know. These are such basic things. Uh I'm not even sure you should capitalize the the Constitution. Well, you definitely
0: I, should not ca- capitalize country like that. I mean, what? <laughs> but
1: Nathan, it reigns
0: supreme. These guys are fucking clowns, man. I, I, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> this is the type of shit that if this was on a law school personal statement, you would get denied from law school. You just look like an yeah. idiot.
1: Yeah. And apparently they went to and graduated from law school. They continue. But through this latest article of impeachment, now before the Senate, Democrat politicians seek to carve out a mechanism by which they can silence a political opponent and a minority party. The Senate must summar- summarily reject this brazen political act. No period. What the fuck? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that caught my eye first was no period. You could put this
1: through Grammarly, and they would have caught this shit.
0: Yeah, no Jeez. period at the. I mean, Google Google Docs would auto correct to tell you that you need a period. Like, <clears throat> want to read one more sentence?
1: Sure. This rushed single article of impeachment. Wait a sec. They capitalized Article of Impeachment before. Maybe they're not doing so now because we're talking about an individual one of them. No, they're just
0: – they just are bad at editing. <laughs> they're bad at writing. They're bad at their job. <sighs> these are not good lawyers. They – they Yeah.
1: Uh-oh. We found the missing period. Okay, so anyways, this rushed single article of impeachment ignores the very constitution from which its power comes and is itself defectively drafted, period, period. Okay, so they moved the period from before and they put it down here. That's interesting. Um, In bringing this impeachment at all, the members of the house leadership have debased the grave power of impeachment and disdain the solemn responsibility that this awesome power entails wow they really they really work for trump don't they i mean they dropped in the word awesome in here
0: yeah Just- it's a it's a grave power and an awesome power in the same sentence <laughs> you know it's like these guys were trying to make the brief as long as they could it's like a seventh grader doing a writing assignment where there's a minimum length?
1: Yeah, well, I imagine that's what it's like working for Trump. He's like, what is, what is the damn brief? And then he's probably going to look at a few things. He needs to see them giving them him the hurrah. And they're like, here you go, Mr. Trump. We did it. We did it. Here it is.
0: Well, he's and- so stupid and borderline illiterate <laughs> that he would probably be like, Oh, my brief is sixty-eight pages, and their brief is only forty-two pages.
1: Look at all the evidence we've provided. It's good evidence. <laughs> it's substantial. It's the best, it's the it's best great ever. evidence. <laughs> the bre- best defense that's been ever been presented before the Senate in an impeachment trial. Oh, really? Okay. Well, there's only been four, three. Oh, man. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing.
0: I I actually did skim through the whole thing. Mm. Um, there are typos throughout. They go back and forth between one space between sentences and two spaces between sentences. There are places um, top of section two. There's clearly two spaces in the middle of a sentence mm. for no reason it's shockingly bad and it's and it's uh it's just kind of not that surprising
1: <laughs> wait i just want to read this council for the 45th president hereby stipulate oh oh by this brief that's how you're stipulating that what happened at the capitol by those criminals was horrible and horrific in every sense of those words <laughs> <laughs> oh okay glad glad to Get that clarification. Horrible and (laughs) horrific.
0: (laughs) In all senses of both of those words. Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're really wordy. They really just like to put words on the page.
0: These guys are clowns. This is terrible. Um, Whoever these people are should be ashamed of themselves. And it's just not surprising. Uh, He, you know, (laughs) if you think about what Trump did, he alienated every single person who ever worked with him for four years Right. Including.
1: And before that. Yeah.
0: yeah mm-hmm. a- including multiple sets of legal counsel. Yeah. And so now he's just really clearly scraping the bottom of the barrel here to get anybody <laughs> to defend him. Um, who cares? I'm just glad he's, uh doesn't have a microphone in front of him all the time anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's that.
1: <laughs> I just I just I had to Google this guy and. The Washington Post came up and it just said, this guy's, this caster guy is a magnet for controversy. Well, surprise, surprise. Um, Okay. Anyways, thanks for sharing.
0: Um, Jackson had an idea for the show. I'm not sure exactly how we can make that work. If we were going to rewrite these sentences, should we do that? Um, Should we try to rewrite one of these sentences from, from this brief?
1: Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't, I mean, there's, it's most likely the case that we're just going to have to cut the whole thing. Let's see.
0: (laughs) I mean, like (laughs) their ideas are also bad, right? Yeah. It's not just that their writing is bad. Their style is bad. Their punctuation, their grammar, it's all bad. Yeah. But their ideas are also bad. So the first sentence starts with during the past four years, Democrat, by the way, they always say Democrat members of that can't be right. I don't think that's how you refer to a like democratic member of the Congress.
1: Yeah. They were worried about the uh, confusion between democratic (laughs) values, maybe. And democratic members of the Democrat party. You know, the
0: first thing that they start with here is, Hey, they've filed nine resolutions to impeach our guy. Over the past four years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is that really their best fact? (laughs) (laughs) That's their first (laughs) sentence. (laughs) I mean. Yeah. If this were a criminal defense. Yeah. There are rules of evidence. That actually prevent. The prosecution. From bringing prior charges. Into the trial. Because it's going to hurt. (laughs) <laughs> because it's damaging information to your client. <laughs> so, but instead, but these guys, they want to lead with that fact that, hey, they've tried to, imp- this is the ninth time that they have filed resolutions to impeach my guy. <laughs> it's only the second time that it actually made it to a trial. But this is the ninth time that The entire House of Representatives, you know, debated whether to impeach this guy.
1: (laughs) Our bully has been pulled into the principal's (laughs) office
0: nine times. You realize that? And They can't see outside of their own weird bubble. So they think that they're making a case like they're defending him because he's being harassed. That's what they think they're
1: doing. Yeah, it's...
0: Oh we Jeez. feel so sorry for him, you know? Oh he never boy, he would never do anything to harass anybody.
1: <laughs> That's the whole narrative. Conspiracy, um the election was lit rigged, right? It's always been oh I'm a victim. <sighs> Every president has had to take shit, but not this much, and there's a reason. <laughs>
0: Because they aren't as much of a shithead as he is. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, if they are going to go with that idea, can we rewrite that awful sentence for them? Sure.
1: Well, okay. I would want to know something about these resolutions. Uh, How many of them failed, maybe? But you could say, over the past four years...
0: Well, I think seven of them failed and two of them succeeded. This is his second actual trial for impeachment. So they debated articles of impeachment.
1: I think there is more than one at each time. But anyway, okay. Yeah. Regardless, there's they debated him and they didn't get passed on. Right? They
0: debated nine resolutions to impeach is my understanding and mm-hmm. actually impeached him twice. <laughs> maybe just don't lead with that Um, (laughs) just (laughs) bye
1: (laughs) yeah okay what's the next sentence
0: it says one might have been excused for thinking that the democrats fevered hatred for citizen trump (laughs) and their trump derangement (laughs) syndrome would have broken by now seeing as italics he is no longer the president and italics and yet for the second time in just over a year, the United States Senate is preparing to sit as a court of impeachment, but this time over a private citizen who is a former president.
1: Wow. So, yeah, cut the first sentence and then drop this sentence into President Trump or former President Trump is no longer in office. Period. Period. Yeah, right? it's,
0: that's one of their grounds for defense, by the way. That's that's one of the actual legal arguments that they're making.
1: Yeah. And make that plainly clear instead but,
0: of burying it in like this like fiery well, rhetoric. Well, no, because all they're doing is like they're writing for people who are inside the echo chamber. Mm-hmm. You know, this bringing up citizen Trump. <laughs> what? That's <laughs> unbelievably scary for anyone who's yeah. not on their team. Yeah. And the whole thing about Trump derangement syndrome, you know, that's just like an idiot right wing joke that people make.
1: Did that get coined on like Fox News or something? Per- yes, I don't it understand. has to
0: be something like that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> with all that stuff, then they're burying their actual argument, which is hey, the argument that they're trying to make is impeachment is for removing people from public office. Yep. He's no longer in public office. (laughs) Therefore he can't be impeached. Next paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's just get off of this. Fuck this guy. This is, this is ridiculous.
1: All right. So the next thing is pearls versus turds. We have 11 pearls, by the way, that we've reviewed on the show. 42 turds, 21 ties. This comes from a devoted listener. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Oh, Ben, Nathan, and Adot. Oh, this is a devoted listener. Okay. This person knows that we call Annalisa dot. I am an active user of the Demon, and this pearl submission has been inspired from attending Nathan's Thursday class. Like a lot of others, I love story time. That's where Nathan reads the reading comp passage and helps people see how he would read and understand it. And I have found it extremely helpful with my reading comp accuracy. I think one of the most obvious reasons why story time is so successful is because Nathan is knowingly reading the passage to an audience. The advice, engage with the passage, can be pretty meaningless. But read the passage as if you are speaking it on a podium to an audience could be more objectively applied. I found that reading the passage in my head as if I'm giving a really important presentation can really help me with my general interest in the passage and with remembering information from the passage. I really believe you like the word really, by the way. I really believe that you could quickly get students to engage with a passage on a deeper level if they were told to read it as if they were giving a speech. Inflection emphasizes meaning in everyday life. And that should hold true on the LSAT as well. Thanks for your time. What do you think?
0: Um, There's something there. I mean, I don't know that I would just straight up give it a pearl.
1: Could you imagine yourself standing up in class and saying, when you read this in your head, read it theatrically?
0: Um, it's one way of thinking about it, I guess. I could certainly see it being useful to some people. People do ask a lot, um,
1: hey, how do I do well in the passages that I'm not interested in? And this devoted listener refers, kind of alludes to those ones. I always tell them, fake it until you make it, right? Pretend to be interested. And that has been shown to work on the LSAT and elsewhere. Like, that's not just something unique to us. But um, maybe this is a form of that. Like, you're essentially pretending that it's important by pretending that you're reading it to an audience.
0: Sure, yeah. I guess I'm kind of concerned that you could do a dramatic reading of something without really understanding what it says.
1: You definitely could. You're much more focused on how the words sound and whether you're reading them in cadence or whatever, as opposed to actually grasping the meaning.
0: Yeah. Like it's not a, you need to take it out of the language that they actually use and put it into your own language to understand it. And I worry that that's not what people think about if they think about a performance or a speech or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, if you certainly don't want to be reading this off a teleprompter, you know, the words are just like scrolling past and you're just kind of like reading each word separate from the meaning of all the other words. That we definitely don't want you to do.
1: I don't see myself standing up and saying, hey, try to read it as if you're in front of an audience.
0: I I think I understand what they're saying. And I do think it makes sense for them. Yep. But yeah, if the measure is, is this a thing that we're going to steal and start using in all of our classes? Probably not.
1: Thank you for writing in. Give it a tie. Sure.
0: Oh, you're gonna as a devoted listener. (laughs) For some reason, I don't have.
1: Probably knows. Oh, really?
0: Can you change that to 21 ties or 22 ties? There we go. The scoreboard right now, for all the years we've been doing this, we've received 11 pearl submissions, 42 turds, and 22 ties. So it's about a six to one ratio of turds to pearls. Yep. It's not good. It's not good out there. I'm glad you like my class. I'm glad you like story time. I mean, what do we do in story time? I'm trying to think of why it, it, it is successful. And the reason why it's successful is because I read the passage well. I mean, yeah, I'm engaged with it. You're
1: also commenting on it, though, right? I haven't watched your storytelling. Yeah, yet, but that's what I do.
0: And that's the thing that this devoted listener is missing, I think, is that I'm not just performing the passage as if it were Shakespeare, and I'm gonna like just you know read every word as Shakespeare wrote it. Yeah, that's the exact opposite of what I'm doing. I'm reading one sentence. And then I'm talking about it. Yep. And am I performing? Yes. I love to hear myself talk. I've got a big audience in the class. I have fun with it. So for sure, it is a performance. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm actually performing the stuff in between the lines more than I'm performing the lines themselves, right? Yeah. I'm reading the lines, of course. But then I'm like taking time to editorialize and comment and personalize it and, and invent examples of what type of thing they might be talking about. Yeah. Do you remember that one about uh, gray marketing and parallel importation? I think it's a test J thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've seen it a million times, but I went on a whole tangent as I was reading that passage the other night I went on a whole tangent about like gray marketing, parallel importation, trademarked goods being sold to a store, and then that store is reselling them to another other channels. And it's like you have to make sense of it, right? And so then I ended up going on a whole thing about like, well, hey, maybe let's think about a trademark product. Uh, okay, Air Jordans. Oh, so maybe what we're talking about here is Nike selling Air Jordans to Foot Locker. Ah, uh, and then the gray marketing comes in when Foot Locker turns around and sells it to their buddy out on the street or sells it across the border into Canada. And then I was able to like personalize all of the little bits that actually came through in the rest of the passage. Yeah. But that's not, I don't, I just don't think that read it as if you were reading it to an audience is going to convey all that. And I think that that's the actual important part.
1: It's way more interactive. It's more like reading Rainbow or they're reading it and like, actually, I don't know what they did in reading Rainbow, but (laughs) I imagine like the guy like actually talking about it, but it's even more than that. It's, it's more like a panel talking about some article that was written
0: yeah it's much more like a uh it's it's kind of like a a if if it is a stage performance it's a lot more like a like a two person stage performance yep right because like what interview. i'm really doing mm-hmm. is riffing off of the it's it's like it's like the passage is the other person on stage
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I am reading their lines, but then I'm improvising all kinds of lines in between, right? I'm having a conversation with the passage. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean by engagement. It's like a conversation with the author where, yeah, you're going to read their side but then you're going to fill in like, oh, do you mean X, Y, Z? Oh, I see. I bet you mean this.
1: Not to belabor this, but maybe the best analogy is like an NPR interview. The person being interviewed is the author, and they are guiding the discussion. But the interviewer the Terry Gross. is taking in what they're hearing. They're restating it in much simpler language, and they're asking questions that most people would have while reading that shit or listening to that shit and saying, okay, what about this? And, you know, it's just amazing how clearly uh, those interviewers can just kind of restate what they heard. Yeah. You're not just reading the passage,
0: you're interviewing the passage. Yeah. Because you have to keep asking those clarifying questions or proposing examples for them. Like, wait, you just said ABC. So does that, do you mean D E F? Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't, but you have to be kind of predicting what you think, yeah. where the, where you think they're going to go. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's just, it's not just a dramatic reading of the passage. I actually kind of want this to be a turd now. Yeah, it's a listener. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt.
1: (laughs) All right, we got a success story. This was written to you from Emily.
0: Okay, Uh, it says, Hey, Nathan, I'm writing to say thank you, and hopefully you can share some of this with podcast listeners or your demon classes. I always appreciated the balance of you telling us not to go to law school with some success stories. (laughs) Ha ha. I used the Kaplan book and Khan Academy, parentheses, good grief, to prep for my first LSAT and wound up with a 152 after a cold 149. That's pretty pretty terrible. Yep. Cold 149 is not bad at all.
1: Not bad at all. Very normal.
0: (laughs) But from a cold 149, you should be in the mid to high 150s pretty quickly. Otherwise, yeah. I think you need to change what you've been doing. That goes that goes for all of our demon subscribers as well. Yep. Cold149, been studying with the demon for 6 weeks, still stuck in the low 150s? Maybe we're not working for you. Maybe
1: you need to go to more classes or hit the ask button too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Change something and figure out, like, ask us what the hell is going on and we'll
0: see if it's our fault or yours. Yeah. Yeah. Kaplan and Khan are just uh, (laughs) doing a bad job. Um, After four months of using the demon, the last two with a live subscription, I scored a 168 on the January LSAT. (laughs) <laughs> nice. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Banging their head against the wall with Khan and Kaplan. Four months of a demon subscription. You know that's an investment of time and money. Yeah. But <laughs> it paid off with a sixteen and point sixteen point official improvement. Goes on and says this score is above and beyond the seventy fifth percentile at my target schools and multiple points higher than my highest practice test score, I thought the games were the easiest of any test I had taken. But then again, I ran out of games to drill a few days before my official test. So maybe the test didn't get easier. I just got better at it. 100%. Yeah. 100% guaranteed the case. that I don't think that the most recent LSAT was any easier or harder than any other previous LSAT every test that comes out, Ben, we get emails (laughs) telling us how easy it was and how hard it was. Yep. So yeah, it was easy for you, Emily, because you did every single game that was ever released. Um, I have been working a total of 60 hours a week at two jobs. One of which is as a healthcare worker in the midst of the pandemic. Think labor and delivery nurses, taking care of male surgical patients because the hospital was such a shit show. I also have a one-year-old and no childcare outside of my husband, who also works full-time, and myself. I studied for an hour of my son's daily nap and an hour after he went to bed at night on the days I wasn't at the hospital. I've included this because one of my first thoughts after a short ugly cry on score release day was of a woman in one of your live classes a few months ago. She was on the verge of tears talking about how hard it is to study with a family. It really fucking is. And that she just needed a 155 to apply this cycle. I wish I could give her a hug and tell her and everyone else struggling in their LSAT journey to just keep practicing and taking your advice and Katie's. Because she is the absolute best. (laughs) That's Elsa Demon uh, teacher Katie. Who everybody loves. Thank you again for all of your advice. The much needed laughs during live classes. And particularly funny question explanations. And the tough love. Praise the demon. Emily. That's awesome. There's a lot there to commend. I mean, you know pretty diligently studying for four months with two jobs and a one-year-old. Yep. Uh, That cannot be easy. And I don't think I even have that in the tank. Like I, I, I would have failed. I think if I was Emily, but You know, she made it a priority. Can you imagine what kind of sacrifice that looks like? You know, her coworkers are telling her about The Bachelor. Uh, You got to catch up. I know you got it recorded. You got to catch up on The Bachelor, you know, it's Monday nights on ABC. It's such a good show and they're talking about it at work every day. And she goes home from work, <laughs> puts the kid to sleep. And even though she's been working all day, she does not go for the Bachelor rerun or recording. <laughs> Instead, she goes and sits down and does an hour worth of LSAT studying.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's a sacrifice. It's impressive. It also... Um kind of, I think, models how some people should think about LSAT studying. In some ways, the constraints on Emily's situation or her environment could have helped her in the sense that I'm not saying that I would wish this situation on anyone, but when you know that you have an hour to study and that's it, you get in, you study, you stay focused, I feel like I tend to get more shit done when I know I have a time constraint than when I don't. Because you necessarily have to choose the most important things to work on. You have to stay focused. And in some ways, that's the best way to study. Get in, do a good hour, get out. Get in, do another good hour. So if she was ending up doing two hours a day, at least for her LSAT, I'm not saying for everything else, that was probably a good scenario and something people should copy.
0: Yeah, she she got the opportunity to practice her sacrificing as well. You know, like she's stronger now than she was before she did all this.
1: Oh, for sure. And
0: like everybody thinks that life's going to get easier. That's so ironic. I mean, the truth is, I think, until maybe you're, like, in your 70s, at which point your whole body's breaking down, but, like, before we get there... Mm -hmm. You know, when you get in your 70s, I think life can slow down sometimes for people. Mm -hmm. But, man, I don't know about you, Ben, but my late 20s were busier than my early 20s, and my 30s were busier than my 20s. And now I don't have kids, but... If I had had kids, I imagine that my life would just constantly be getting busier and busier and busier. Yeah. And so, you know, she's got the one year old now, but three years from now, she's going to be in law school. She might have a four year old and a one year old and can. be in law school. Yeah. You know, and in legal practice, it's just <laughs> it, this sounds very lawyerly to me. Mm-hmm. Grinded it out for 4 months and um carved out, you know, she probably wanted nothing more than a nap while the kid was taking the nap. Oh, for sure. <laughs> she could easily Especially have with just passed nursing out. Nursing
1: job. Yeah. yeah those have pretty long hours, so Yeah,
0: but instead you know she's just got that fire and she and she just <laughs> instead of taking that nap she just fires up the demon and does an hour worth of prep while she's while the kid is mercifully asleep yeah uh law school is going to be harder so this is a really good head start on the type of diligent Super hard work, super dedicated work that she's going to have to do in in law school.
1: And study habits. Schedule your time. Get in. Do it. Get out.
0: Yeah, amazing. Anyways.
1: Yeah, thanks, Emily. Um, and good luck. Yep. Okay, so we have a logical reasoning question, test sixty-five, section four, question twenty. All right, titled "Use of Color." Let's do it. Um, Let me read it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So this says, when teaching art students about the use of color, teachers should use colored paper rather than paint in their demonstrations. Okay. Right now I'm thinking this sounds like a conclusion, right? This person is telling teachers what they should do. They should use colored paper rather than paint. I'm expecting evidence as to why they should do
0: that. Yep. We talked about this just last week. Should Mm -hmm. is the F word of the LSAT. And you really need to notice it when it pops up. Yep. It's the most important word in that sentence. They're all important, but the word should is really, really important there because the speaker is telling someone else what to do
1: (laughs) and in my head i'm visualizing colored paper literally that like kind of rough paper
0: construction paper and
1: construction paper and paint and i'm saying okay they're preferring this one over that one i don't know why but i'm curious
0: yeah you're trying to teach students about red i'm seeing the red you know Mm -hmm. The teacher has two choices. The teacher can paint the wall red or the teacher can hold up a piece of red construction paper. If that's your choice as a teacher of art students, this speaker says you should use colored paper rather than paint, which would you have any preconceived notions having not seen this question before, would you have any idea why?
1: No, but right now I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense to me because I don't want to go painting stuff. That just seems like a mess. (laughs) Just messiness.
0: Sure. (laughs) For just the sheer messiness. Yeah. Uh, The school janitor is going to agree with this plan of like, let's get out the colored paper instead of getting out the actual paint inside the classroom. Okay. All right. And that's fine. That's, that's perfect hypothesis to have, right? We're we're mm-hmm. just trying to make sure that we keep our footing here. Yep. Like what are, what are we talking about? Oh, well, we're telling art students how to teach about color mm-hmm. and we should use the uh, colored paper instead of the paint. Okay. Okay. Colored paper is preferable because it readily
1: permits a repeated use of exactly the same color in different compositions, which allows for a precise comparison of that color's impact in varying context. Ah, uh, okay. I'm not sure why paint wouldn't allow for this. Um, why wouldn't the paint be the same color, but maybe depending on what you paint on, it could change color. So I'm starting to get where this person is going, although I have some questions.
0: Yeah, I'm imagining like a collage or something. You know, if I cut out pieces of the red construction paper mm-hmm. and I put it into the collage, then <clears throat> it's not going to change color. The paper itself, right? Presumably, mm-hmm. is going to stay the yeah. same color. Yep. But if I was mixing paints on a canvas that red paint isn't going to necessarily, you know, it's going to mix with the blue paint.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like understandable. Oh yeah. Especially if you have another paint, but there's part of me that's just wondering, does it have to change color? Like, couldn't you do it? So it's always the same. I don't know, but I'm getting where they're going.
0: And I think you have to accept this second sentence as a premise of the argument, right? So you have mm-hmm. to give them credit that this is a fact for whatever reason. If I paint on a canvas, it might not always be the same color of red. Could be because of the background could be because of mixing with other paint could be because of the way the paint dries over time. The humidity in the room might affect the paint, right? I'm giving them all different reasons why the the color might not stay true if i used paint
1: true i i i i grant that it's a premise and therefore we should accept it as true i just don't know if it's told us that you can't do this for paint right it says that paper readily permits a repeated use yeah exact. i mean
0: it's just easier with paper for whatever reason
1: so anyways The next sentence, however, says with paint, however, it is difficult to mix exactly the same color twice Okay. and the varying textures of the applied paint can interfere with the pure effect of the color itself, which is what you were talking about in terms of mixing, right? Yeah. I guess
0: what I mean to say is after that second sentence, it's that reading comprehension technique. Right. After that second sentence, I was having a conversation with Mm -hmm. the speaker. Like, oh, do you mean to imply that the paint for whatever reason? And I was thinking about like six different reasons why maybe paint doesn't allow you to have this pure color effect, Mm -hmm. which in the last sentence, they said similar stuff to what I was thinking. Yeah. Hard to mix the same color twice. That's not exactly what I said, but I get it. Paint is mixed and the color might not be exactly the same. I didn't think about the texture thing at all. But now I can see how, yeah, if you lay the paint on really thick, then there might be shadows in the paint. Changing the color. Apparently not the case if you just hold up the Piece of construction paper.
1: Yeah, and this second sentence or this last sentence resolved my concern of like, well, does that mean that paint can't be the same? And it's like, look, it's difficult. So
0: yeah, I get what you're saying. They were they were implying it in the second sentence, right? The second sentence mm-hmm. is really literally just about colored paper, but they had already mm-hmm. said use paper, not paint.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then they say a good thing about paper. Well, they must mean that that good thing doesn't apply to paint. Sure enough, in the in the last sentence, they say, yeah, here's the problems if you have paint.
1: Yeah. My only concern with that is that on some of these harder questions, right, that's the, that's the rub. It's like, oh, but we don't know that's true for that thing. And people get upset because they're like, well, that's what I thought it said, but that was the conclusion. So, you know, we
0: don't know that for sure. Right. Okay. And then, again, wrapping it all up, what yep. was the conclusion of this argument?
1: Teachers who teach art students about color, should use colored paper rather than paint. And why? Because it doesn't change color. And paint likely will. Perfect. Yep. Okay, which one of the following is an assumption required by the argument? This is a necessary assumption question. It's asking, what answer would the author of this argument have to agree with? What would they have to concede is true if we want their argument to make any sense
0: to be Um, really clear that's the end of the analysis what ben just said is the end of the analysis which one does the author have to agree with i don't want to hear students say anything else besides that (laughs) for example oh well it's got to be something that that was unstated that Mm -hmm. the author agrees with That's not correct. We have examples of necessary assumption questions where the correct answer basically just restates the conclusion of the argument. That's not wrong. It does not have to be a missing piece. It has to be the one answer that the author must agree with. And if an answer looks like it's restating their conclusion, or if it looks like it's restating a premise, that's the answer because the author has to agree with it. Students get themselves all kinds of twisted up on necessary assumption questions because they overcomplicate it. Yeah. You got to treat this like a must be true question. One of these five things the author has to agree with. That's it.
1: Okay. Okay. So, one thing I'm thinking right now before I even go into the answer choices is that if you boil this argument down to its core, it's like, hey, use paper over paint because paper stays the same color. It allows for exact comparisons with or allows for comparing things with the exact same color. Yep. Um, okay. Does that Are there any other things that we should consider? right like maybe paint is better because it's glossy i don't know like well
0: yeah i mean i have an i have an objection that i think is like right on target you know even if i'm willing to grant you that there's a value to being able to do a precise comparison of that color's impact in varying contexts Mm-hmm. even if there's a value to seeing the pure effect of color without any variation yeah it could also be true that these students need to learn about the variation of color sure and it could be true that they you don't always want them to see a precise comparison of a color's impact in varying contexts Maybe they need to see how red paint looks different in various contexts when mixed in different ways, when when applied with varying textures. They didn't say that that's bad for art students. So there's my objection is like, well, wait a second. Don't art students need to learn about the variation in color? Yeah. So the correct answer could have something to do with that.
1: Answer choice A. Does this need to be assumed? Two pieces of paper exactly the same color will have the same effect in a given context, even if they are of different textures.
0: The author does not have to agree with that. If you take a piece of super fine paper, I'm thinking about like tracing paper, Mm -hmm. and then you take a piece of super coarse construction paper, Mm -hmm. they might be exactly the same color but have a totally different effect in different contexts. One of them is translucent and one of them is not. Okay.
1: So the author doesn't
0: have to agree with A. Yep. B, a slight
1: difference in the color of two pieces of paper is more difficult to notice than a similar difference in the color of two samples of paint. We're We're not talking about different colors we're talking about the fact that they can be exactly the same
0: yeah there's just no evidence for b i mean that is not what they're talking about they, they didn't say the reason why we want to use paper instead of paint is that if two pieces of paper are slightly different in color it'll be harder to tell the difference Mm-mm. what you're we talking about <laughs> Why does the paper, you're putting words in the author's mouth. You're not allowed to put words in the author's mouth here, right? This is a top down question type. We need to find the one that's just like, well, because it says this, we have to pick this answer.
1: See, changing light conditions have less of an effect on the apparent color of a piece of paper than on the apparent color of a sample of paint. Uh, Again, it's like, it's focusing on the wrong change. You have a thing that's not changing. You have paper, you have paint that's not changing. And they're saying, oh, well, when the light changes, then that apparent color changes. So what? We're talking about taking the same piece of paper and moving it to different contexts.
0: We're looking for the one that the passage proves the author has to believe. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pick C, it starts off by talking about changing light conditions. Yep. I'm going to be like, oh, really? Okay. Show me in the passage where it talked about changing light conditions. Show Show me your evidence for the assertion that the author has to agree that changing light conditions have less effect on paper than they do on paint. Where's your evidence for that? We can't pick it. We don't have evidence to prove that the author has to agree with it.
1: Yep. D, observing observing the impacts of colors across varying contexts helps students to learn about the use of color. Well, the author has to agree with this because if learning how color impacts things across different contexts, in different contexts, doesn't help students to learn about the use of color then why the heck are we even
0: having this discussion well look at the second sentence why is colored paper preferable that's their conclusion by the way colored prep colored paper should be used to teach art students about the use of color why oh well Because it readily permits a repeated use of exactly the same color in different compositions, which allows for a precise comparison of that color's impact in varying contexts. Why the hell did they include that? If they don't think that observing the impacts of colors across varying contexts helps students learn about the use of color. It would be irrelevant. Yep. (laughs) That was precisely what we're here to talk about is art teachers teaching students about the use of color. The whole second sentence is directly related to this across varying contexts. D seems boring and obvious and conservative according to this statement. Like, are you really going to tell me that you don't think the author has to agree with D That would be a real hard argument to make. I mean, why did they include that second sentence if they don't agree with what D says?
1: Yeah. So that's the answer. E, it is important that art students understand how the effects of using colored paper in various compositions differ from (laughs) those of using paint in those compositions. The first part of this answer is not horrible. It's important for the art students to understand something, which is why this person has an opinion about this issue. But they don't need to understand how using colored paper is different from using paint. In fact, they said <laughs> just use colored paper. Don't talk about paint.
0: Nobody ever talked about a choice being made between, well, in this comp in this project. Yep should we use paint or should we use colored paper? Yeah. That's not the point. That's not what they're talking about. They're not, they're not talking about the art students need to learn when paper is better than paint and when paint is better than paper. That's not the point. The point is about teaching them about color. Yep. And if you use paper to teach them about color, it has certain advantages. Whether they use paper or, paint in their composition is an entirely different issue. Cool. So the answer is D, and that's that. Answer is D.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anything else on logical reasoning?
0: Nope, necessary assumption I mean, necessary assumption questions are are probably the if not the hardest, they're probably the second hardest type of question for most new students or even even higher level students sometimes just haven't really quite figured out what a necessary assumption question is really all about.
1: Yeah, they're mixing necessary and sufficient. They're like looking for the wrong thing and the wrong question. Sometimes they, they mis- think they find the question.
0: They think it has yeah. to be unstated. They think they have to be able to predict the answer. They just don't. Necessary assumption questions have a fairly wide range of acceptable answers, and are not always predictable. But you do need to make sure that you know what the correct analysis is. The analysis we're looking for here is which one does the author have to agree with? Which one does the record show the author has to agree with the four wrong answers? The author could possibly disagree, but the one right answer is the one where the author, if you confronted them with it, the author would look at it and go, yeah, yeah, that has to be true.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, well, let's wrap it up, huh? Yeah, do it. We're, okay. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, at Thinking Elsat and at LSAT Demon. Uh, as always, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a ton. To get your question on the show, email help at com. If you have questions about the LSAT Demon or – getting started with that or anything in that regard, email help at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 284 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.